I think you can put people into two categories, those who love math and those who don't. And when I was little, I was in the category of those who do not like math. But actually, I became a convert, and it happened that conversion process started when I told my dad one day when I came home from school that I didn't like math, I wasn't going to study math anymore. And he was the beginning of that conversion process. <laughs> in elementary school, I remember as a kid, we were learning our addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And our teacher had this wonderful idea. She, every Friday, she would have a piece of paper, an eight and a half by 11, with a whole slew of all these different math problems that we'd have to solve. And she would pass these pieces of paper out, but they'd all be face down pass them out on her desk, and when everyone in the class had their paper, she would say, okay, you have exactly one minute to do as many of these correctly as possible. And the person who gets the most problems done correctly wins. And she would keep you know, a table up on a score chart up on the side of the wall, and we'd be able to see who was winning. And I was almost always last. And so what happens when you're a boy, you're a little kid, and you're always last, you don't like playing that game anymore. That's usually what happens. If it's a sport, you say, okay, I'm no longer playing football, I'm now gonna play basketball because I always get crushed in football. So I came home and I thought the same logic would apply and told my dad that I'm not gonna study math anymore. And that was the beginning of my conversion experience. Back then, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money, so what my dad did is he took those brown paper bags from Kroger, and now I'm dating myself. I, I'm, I grew up in a time when there were actually brown paper bags at the grocery store. I don't know how, how many of you remember those days. So yeah, quite a few out there. Now you can't even find them. You probably have to buy them. And he, we had this whole stack of brown paper bags, which you used to cover your textbooks in. And he took them, and he cut up these little cards, and he made flashcards. And he made a gazillion of them, if that number exists. He made a gazillion of them. And I remember every night he would come home from work at about 7 o'clock at night, and he would drill me one flashcard after another, after another, after another. And I hated it. And I began to hate him. <laughs> right? And you start saying those things, I hate you, Dad. And he just kept going at it, at it, and at it, and at it, until little by little what I started to notice was when I went to school on Fridays, I was no longer the last. I was the second to last, then the third, then the fourth. And after a while, as the months went by, I became the first one. I was always in first place. And it got to a point where my brother, who's six years older than me, he would, my dad would drill the two of us side by side, and I would beat my brother on every single flashcard, right, which made my brother real mad and made my dad very happy. Well, just so you know, my brother now is much smarter than I am. He now has a doctorate in aeronautical engineering. But I can say that back in the day, I was smarter than my six, you know, my older brother who was six years older than me. And at the time, though, whether it was my dad or my teacher, there was always this, always this feeling of, you have it so easy. I'm the one doing all the work. You're just sitting there flipping through flashcards. You're the teacher who's just passing out these tests. I'm the one doing all the work. It's not fair. And it wasn't until I got older and more mature that I realized that, yeah, he wasn't doing the work for me. 
but he was doing the work beside me, and he was ultimately doing the work through me. He was teaching me how to master math. Last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday, we have a trilogy, kind of like the Lord of the Rings. But it's Jesus Christ who's telling the story. Last Sunday, if you remember, there's this owner of a vineyard, and he goes into the, into the uh, marketplace over and over again throughout the day, and he sends these workers into his vineyard to work. Today, Jesus tells another story about now it's the owner of the vineyard is not only the owner, but he's also a father, and he has two sons, and he sends those two sons into his vineyard to work. And next Sunday, spoiler alert, so plug your ears if you don't want to know what the parable is next Sunday. Next Sunday, he's the owner of the vineyard, and he leases his vineyard to these tenants, and he goes on a journey. He takes a trip. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something that's common in every single one of these parables. The owner never does any work. The owner of the vineyard, when do you see him out in the vineyard? He's there hiring people. He's telling his sons to do it. He's, in the third case, next Sunday, he even leaves. He goes on vacation. He goes on a trip. He's not even there. And we can look at these three parables and say, what on earth is Jesus trying to say? Because we know, this much we know, that the owner of the vineyard is supposed to be God in this story. God's the owner of the vineyard. He's the one who has sons, and he calls workers to go work in his vineyard. And so is the conclusion that God doesn't do any work, and he makes us do it all? If we think outside the parable... How often have I thought that very same thought in my prayer? Where I look at the world around me and I say, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing any work? Seriously, why don't you change this? And we can be tempted to think that God does not work in his vineyard. I think the key, one of the keys, but it's the first key that we need to get to unlock the meaning behind these parables is to see the second thing that's common in every single one of these three parables. In every single parable, it's always a vineyard. Now, to us today, that probably doesn't say much. When you first probably heard that parable, you probably thought, yeah, this is about God who wants us to go work, and vineyard, is, it, it might as well be a garage, uh, it might as well be a kitchen, it might as well be a workplace, it might as well be my family garden. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a vineyard or what. That's just a little element Jesus throws in the story. But that's not true. That's how we see this parable. Jesus when he was speaking this parable, he was speaking this parable to a specific group of people. Yes, it comes to us 2,000 years later, but when he spoke this parable, there were concrete, real people 2,000 years ago that heard it, and he designed it for their ears. We, in order to understand it, have to understand what they understood 
any Jew in the time of Jesus Christ, when he heard some story about a vineyard and there was a moral behind the story, he would have thought of the prophet Isaiah where God talks about how much more, O Israel, can I do for my vineyard? House of Israel is my vineyard. Every single Jew who heard that parable would have known that, would have immediately captured the analogy. Jesus Christ, in referencing a vineyard, is not talking about a place. He's not saying, go into this vineyard and work. He's not talking about a place. He's talking about a group of people. There was an owner of a group of people. The house of Israel, with the coming of Jesus Christ, becomes all of humanity. God is constantly sending me into the vineyard. Humanity. And so if I look around and I see that the vineyard is getting sick, if I look around and see that the vineyard is starting to die, instead of saying, God, where are you? I have to ask the question, where am I? Have I gone into the vineyard? God is constantly calling me, you, 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 me, go. That's how I tend my vineyard, through my workers, through my children. We are God's children. We have been baptized. We're called to work in this vineyard. But before we get discouraged, that's why Jesus gives us the second part of the parable, the two sons. If you look real closely, neither of the sons wanted to go. Because the one who said, yes, sir, I'll go, he didn't go. He was just kind of sucking up to his dad. He's like, yes, sir. And he's like, whatever, I'm not going to the vineyard. And the other son, the only difference is that he came out and he said it. I'm not going to go. But then he had a change of heart. But originally, the two sons didn't want to go into the vineyard. It's hard to go out and make disciples. It's hard to go out of our comfort zone, our immediate family, myself, and start interacting with God's vineyard. It is not easy. Jesus knows that. But what was the catalyst? What was the thing that helped the first son to have a change in mind and go? That's the key. If we discover that, we discover how to become the son that actually goes into the vineyard. The son that goes is the son that is honest with God in his prayer. Think about it. The second son, what does he say? Father asks him to go and he says, yes, sir. And in English, it sounds pretty soft. If you go into the Greek, the word sir is actually kyrie, which means lord or master. The second son, he answers his father by saying, you know, father says, go into my vineyard. The second son, he doesn't just say, uh, yes, I'll go. He says, yes, master, lord. See the irony of it all. See the, the insincerity of it all. How often is my prayer like that? I kneel down 
and my lips are saying one thing because I think that's what God wants to hear and my mind and heart are in a totally different place. If we want a change of heart, if we want to be able to go into the vineyard, the first step is sincerity, honesty in my prayer. Do I speak to God like the first son? When God asks me things, do I say, I don't want to. I'm tired. I don't like to, God. Is that what my prayer is like? If it is, then I can be sure that I'm on the path towards a change of heart. And we'll see that it's not that God doesn't work in his vineyard. Just as I realized that it wasn't that my dad didn't want to work. On the contrary, he was working very intensely. He was working beside me. He was working through me. But in order for that to happen, I needed to first tell my dad, I hate math. Unless in your prayer, you're able to be that sincere with God, there's no way God can help. There's no way this vineyard is going to get turned around. And so, my brothers and sisters, this is the first step. Am I honest in how I speak with God?